Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. We're back again after another glorious summer weekend, Mike. Yeah, I was going to say, you couldn't beat the weather in Wisconsin this weekend. It was weekend. nice. And I know, guys, that we tend to talk about the weather a lot. But <laughs> when much, really, probably. when you only have like three months of beautiful weather or perfect, and th- the thing is, it was perfect this weekend. So Yeah. And we'll try not to complain when it does get nasty. Yes. But we can't help but enjoy when it's awesome like it was right. this weekend. <laughs> it's just too awesome. And there's so many festivals going on uh, in Wisconsin in the summertime. Wendy and I performed at one on Saturday night. Yes. And then we are performing at a huge one this Saturday. That's August 4th. We're going to be at the Wisconsin State Fair. The greatest state fair in our state. Yeah, I completely agree that it is the <laughs> finest state fair in Wisconsin. Anyway, Sunspot will be doing live uh, full electric set at the Sprecher stage. Yes, the Sprecher Landing, our favorite place to play at the state mm-hmm. fair. So much so, fun. So if you guys think that Sprecher is famous just for root beer, you are wrong. They got plenty of real beer and we'll be drinking all of it on Saturday. <laughs> Uh, anyway, so come down August 4th, we're going to be there. Uh, it's going to be all afternoon at the Sprecher Landing at Wisconsin State Fair. So we wanted to bring that up right away to let you guys know, because we know we have a bunch of people in Wisconsin and people from all over the state come to the State Fair. And if you're not from Wisconsin, well, hopefully one of these years we'll make it to your state for your State Fair. Yeah, that sounds good. Because <laughs> we'll that the, would be fun. We'll be the ones opening for REO Speedwagon. <laughs> hey, Alice Cooper's playing at the Wisconsin State Fair the night before us. That's know, pretty that's sweet. Pretty awesome. Alice Cooper is doing a paranormal tour, and that's running through. And I think we talked about this in one of our Patreon hangouts, but we didn't get a chance to actually talk about it on the show yet. Uh, But when Alice Cooper came to Madison, I wrote up an entire article uh, because he was talking about his paranormal album. I remember that. Yeah, and he was talking about how he had a haunted experience of his own in the early 1980s, like him and Joe Perry were working together uh, on a record, and they were both like drying out. At this house in upstate New York, as Alice Cooper, mm-hmm. like he never went to AA or anything like that, but he decided that he, you know, he he just stopped drinking one day after like twelve years of drinking like a case of beer at every show. Just had enough, and he said he's like, oh yeah, I, you know, he said it was affecting his performance and stuff, so he stopped drinking. And Joe Perry obviously struggled with heroin addiction and all these kind of things for a while. Oh, man. So they both went to this house in upstate New York and working on writing songs together. Um, and they had a lot of weird paranormal experiences. That's cool. And they uh, were sober. So, you know, there's a little bit more validity right. to the reports, right? <laughs> yeah, but they were like weird sounds coming from the basement. Like they ran out of the house one night because like the doors kept opening and weird stuff kept happening. Uh, he actually talks about it on like the, the celebrity paranormal stories. Alice Cooper does. And you got to hear it firsthand from him. <laughs> but the thing is, all of these stories, though, he, the latest retelling, he says that the rumor was it was the place where Jay Anson wrote the Amityville Horror. Hmm. That's, that's intriguing. Not true. Not true. Oh, uh, no. myth bust. Yeah, no, I ended up finding a People article um, from 1979 or whatever, like right after the movie came out and Jay Anson was talking about when he was writing it and he was writing part of it at his sister's house in a different part of New York mm. and then part of it at his office in Manhattan and things like that. So um, when you see, when Rolling Stone says that Alice Cooper used, like wrote a song in the house that Amityville Horror was written, 
uh, it's not true. Wrongo. So I hate to bust myths on things like that. Well, you know, fact checking is important here. Well, and the thing is, it, it doesn't make it any different that uh, Alice Cooper and Joe Perry had a paranormal experience. Right, exactly. Like, it doesn't change the fact that they saw something that, no, or, and heard something cool. that blew their minds and scared them. Um, it's, it's just that whole thing of, uh, I think haunted history is more fun when you can connect it to something that really happened. Yeah, I agree. But, you know, that's some of the stuff we talk about with Mike DeMonte. I'm glad we're talking about music a little bit. It's not, I mean, Alice Cooper is not punk rock. He's more hard rock. But the thing is, we talk about the importance of paying attention to people's experiences in this discussion with Mike DeMonte. Mm-hmm. And we talking about his new book, Punk Rock and UFOs true believers and we get into a little bit of the punk rock ethos and the do-it-yourself kind of thing and how that relates uh to his study of the paranormal so um well why don't we just jump right in mike demonte last time we talked to you you had just released punk rock and ufos two things that i love and i'm glad that other people out there love them too so what was the reaction of punk rock and UFOs? It's been, you know, like a year and a half since we last talked to you about it. How have things been going for you? Uh, well, first, um, I just want to thank you, first of all, for having me on the show again. Um, you're one of the, I believe, the first podcasts that I was on once I started doing the uh, podcast radio circuit to promote the book. Um, the reception was good. Um, I was really surprised that people liked it. You know, sometimes you write something and you're confident in your abilities as a writer, but you don't know people are, are necessarily going to like it. Um, so people liked it. They enjoyed it. They liked the interesting take I had on it. And um, since then, like I said, I've been on other podcasts and TV programs and radio, especially when the Pentagon UFO stuff hit um, here. I was on Fox 26 in Houston locally. Oh, nice. And uh, Spectrum News Austin had me on for uh, two short segments um, about UFOs. So that was cool. So I was able to get on some I was able to get some FaceTime on, uh, on TV in Texas. So that was cool. Well, I mean, and Austin's a fun place. Houston's a fun place. Texas is a big place. So if you if you're gonna get some FaceTime, that's that's a great place to get it. And the thing is, one thing I'm thinking about punk rock and UFOs. When the Blink 182 thing hit, you know, last December, when you know all the Tom DeLonge stuff, and he announced the To the Stars Academy and everything, I would think that the first. That that when people do a search for punk rock and UFOs, you're like, yes, like this, I have arrived. You know, what was your reaction to that? And for those of you guys who haven't been paying attention to this particular bit of news, so the the pop punk band Blink One Eighty Two, the lead singer Tom DeLonge is, I don't know if I always say it right. Yeah, DeLonge. He came out and uh, he said that he's got secret contacts in the Pentagon and things like that. We've we've discussed it on the show a bunch of times. But what was your take on the whole thing, Mike? As as someone I know who is a uh, uh, an admirer of the punk rock ethos, as well as somebody who's out there doing investigations as well. Um, so the I think the the academy um, has credibility in terms of who, who's on the board. Um, he was able to really secure some people with uh, with. Uh, just years of experience in different fields, whether it's from government, science, et cetera. So I, I definitely think the um, the academy at the start um, had credibility. Um, I think it was uh, pivotal that it became a story. Um, it was covered by the mainstream, especially the Pentagon UFO story. It wasn't so much. It was the To the Stars Academy. It was the stuff that came after that. Um, and then kind of the academy and Tom especially kind of took a lower profile. And uh, 
Louis uh, Elizondo started doing all the media rounds. If you notice, uh, Tom Belange has actually been kind of in the back seat after he announced. He did all the hype to it, and then once it was actually announced, he kind of took the back seat for a while. Um, and I think there's there's some parts of it of the business model that are kind of problematic, but the fact that you know we're getting these videos out and people are talking about it, that's that's a good first step. And uh, just kind of just kind of see where it goes from there. You know, if anything, if if it you know if it leads to more people talking about this, great. Um, it's not going to be full disclosure, um, which I don't think is ever going to happen. Right. That the whole idea. I mean, I yeah. the whole idea that the government's going to come on and be like, hey, what guy? You know what? We've been lying to you for decades <laughs> now, and the UFOs are here. They're awesome. That's with our stealth bomber technology. Blah. We're already we're we're already bombing places in Afghanistan with the alien technology. <laughs> uh, thanks for the money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. I just can't see that happening in our lifetime or ever. So, but do you think when we think about Tom DeLonge working with all these ex? Department of Defense guys and stuff like that. That almost seems like, you know, the uh, the inmates running the asylum. Yeah, it, it sounds. I think it sounds crazy just on the surface of you know a traditional, uh, tr- I guess just traditional ufologists w- w- would think. You know, but um, I mean, he, Tom's been researching this stuff for years. Um, he was always vocal about it. Uh, he just just really didn't become a passion, I guess, until he decided to. Um, you know, take it and then and then start this company with it. Um, yeah, it's it's weird because people think, well, why would they trust a rock star? Or you know, they could be using him, and that could very well be true. Um, he could just be kind of uh, a puppet or being manager control. We don't know that, but also um, the fact that I think he knows his stuff definitely helped him uh, have credibility in the eyes of some of those people. You know, he does, he, he is a, a guy who is well-versed in the UFO field. And I mean, with the classical, you know, government cover-up and things like, like he all, he's right in there with that 90s X-Files UFO knowledge and feel. It's fun. And I think if they were going to use a rock star to change our minds about things, they'd have picked the guy from Bad Religion. Or they'd have picked they'd have picked Henry Rollins. They <laughs> they'd have picked somebody. You know, you wouldn't pick the guy from Blank One Eighty Two. You'd pick somebody with like un untouchable punk credibility. It would be uh, when if, when Jello Biafra comes out as a as a, a stool pigeon or and you know as an operative of the CIA. That's when I know they've gotten to everybody. <laughs> Uh, so I was always just, you know, what, what other people's take on the To The Stars Academy thing. I mean, I know a lot of people who are very skeptical about it. I know a lot of people who are really excited about it. And um, I just thought this might be right up your alley as an, it's, it's that mixture specifically of UFOs and kind of punk rock. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's funny you mentioned uh, Greg Graffin earlier from Bad Religion, who, who I've interviewed before. And I, I think last time I interviewed him, I asked him about, you know, kind of what he thinks about, um, you know, life out there and um, I wouldn't say he's a skeptic, but he's not necessarily a firm believer either. Um, he kind of falls right in the middle where, you know, there's the possibility. But then again, he's also not like, yes, UFOs are real. I'd expect that from a guy who, you know, whose T-shirts have a cross with a, you know, the, <laughs> with the not the with the nose symbol through him, that he's going to be pretty skeptical kind of character. Yeah. I mean, also, he comes from the world of uh, academia, too. You know, not just punk rock. You know, he's, he's a Ph.D. professor oh, as well. Um, and, and also, like, with, with the... Um, why would they trust Tom Belange? You know, uh, he also has something that those bands don't have, which isn't a knock towards them. He has a, a little celebrity factor to him. The fact that some of these people, like their kids, probably knew who Blink One Eighty Two was. Like, you know, what I mean, I think that probably mm-hmm. helped 
his foot in the door as well. Just because even though Blink, you know, was, you know, a, a pop punk band, they were still a big band. They were still one of the largest bands in the world at some point. So, you know, I, I think most people at least heard the name of the band. So I think that really helped get his, you know, his, his, uh, his foot in the door with, with that crowd. And I was trying to get him uh, for the book too, trying to get a quote from him for the book. Cause I've interviewed him before in the past about music and Blink and Angels and Airwaves. And, um, you know, I've talked to his, uh, publicist and it's just really hard because he, he he's not even giving quotes to the washington post right now it just seems like he's being everything's being very controlled and managed and uh louis uh elizondo is the one who's doing all the media right now regarding the to the stars tom's kind of on the back burner working on music and some other stuff so um i, th- I think they're being very controlled with who he's ta- who he talks to and what he says and that seems reasonable because, you know, the guy from Blink-182 might have loose lips or might say some crazy things and torpedo the whole endeavor. And especially right now, this is the kind of time where your media presence, your social media presence, your everything from your tweets to your statements to everything on down is being very anal- – it's analyzed very closely and – um, there's all sorts of people who will respond to it and you got to keep that PR really in check. So I, it's probably a smart move. And, and Luis Elizondo does have the kind of the credibility, the research, you know, the, the background. I mean, he's part of that big project. And so it, you know, that's true. So that's just an interesting thing. It's, uh, the conduit was, the conduit was a rock star, and uh, yes, and Blink One Eight Two can fill stadiums. You know they're not going to be playing on uh, just a club tour or whatever. Like if they all got back together with the original guys or whatever, they could they could come in and they could fill a thirty thousand seat place without a problem. Yeah. And so uh, I can see it's just very interesting how it turned out. But that's just part of the punk rock and UFOs world. And so your first book, uh, Cryptozoology Meets Anarchy. Uh, which I, the title I love, and the, the you know the idea of using some of that same ethos of punk rock into the uh, the exploration of the unknown, um, and now your new book's coming out, punk rock and UFOs, true believers. What was the uh, the inspiration behind the title there? Okay, so the title comes from a, a punk rock song by a band called The Bouncing Souls. Mm. And um, the song's called True Believers. And does, that song has nothing to do with UFOs or anything like that. <laughs> sure. um, I, just, I just thought, you know, the, the title of the first book was so catchy. And I think you need something that's going to pull people in and uh, have people talking or questioning, what is this about? And when I was writing the second one, I had a few working titles. But True Believers was definitely um, the one I went with just because it, it fit the ethos of the book. Um, the book's kind of about... Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a call to arms, right? It's almost like a persuasive argument about why people should be interested in the stuff in the first place. And it looks at the people who, are, who research the stuff. It looks into them about their background, how they got into this, uh, any commonalities that they could draw with a common person who may not believe in this or who's semi-interested in it. So I wanted to pull in all these ideas of our, our, our belief system, which I kind of um, – touched on in the first book about our process of belief what we choose to believe what we choose to uh, the beliefs we choose to uh rebel against so i kind of took that idea and expanded on it in this one so the title true believers just fit um it's perfect especially with the uh, aesthetic of the book as well you know this kind of whole this persuasive call to call to arms um to people who ever read the book um just to kind of get interested in this stuff or just want to know, you know, just want to know more in general, not just necessarily about cryptozoology or ufology, but you know, there's stuff out there that people want to learn, go do it. 
you know, uh, ignorance isn't bliss. <laughs> well, that's that's for sure. And now you've been um, active in blogging about this stuff, researching, and of course you're a you know you're a journalist and getting into it. Now, was there some kind of switch that happened in your life or something that flipped when you kind of moved from mainstream journalism to uh, now I'm going to be writing about things on the fringe? Like, is any, you know, has anything changed in your perspective in your writing? Has anything changed about the way people treat your mainstream journalism? Has, or have those things coexisted peacefully? Um, that, that's a really good question. So I look at it as two ways. There was a switch I made in terms of my professional life because um, I worked, you know, uh, full time at a, a large newspaper, the Houston Chronicle, and I made that switch to um, uh, education to start teaching. But I still did my, you know, my writing on the side as well. Uh, and then there was also the switch in terms of uh, what I chose to write about more often or my interest in it. And that goes back to the first time I ever saw anything, something in the sky. Um, the first sighting I ever personally had. And I thought about that, and I looked at a lot of the people who are uh, researchers or experiencers. There's that commonality. There's a spark. There's something in these people that sets them off that says, you know what, I want to research this or I want to write about it. So that's one of the things I cover in the new book, too. You know, I take a, a few people in their instances and just kind of interview them about that and ask, you know, what got you involved in this? And it all started with a spark, whether it was a, it was a sighting of something or an experience they had, whether it was... Uh, someone who's an experiencer or or, uh, or somebody who witnessed something in the sky. So as far as uh, how it's viewed in terms of um, mainstream journal journalism, I write, you know, even though I started the website punkrockandufos.com after the book, I still treat it like it's real journalism. Um, I hate the I hate the title blog, but it is a sure. blog. It is, um, and I've kind of gotten past the the, the traditional uh, journalism, you know, where you know blog's a dirty word. It's not anymore. Um, so I started doing the website and the blog, and I write it just like I, I would a news story. Um, it's structured almost. I want it to look like almost like a, a news site. You know, I'll have interviews on there, I'll have reviews, but I make sure things that are a commentary are marked commentary, things that are marked review and marked review, and so forth. So those lines don't get blurred. So I approach it the same way, uh, just because it should be approached the same way. Uh, journalism, just journalism. Well, and I, I think that's a good point, man, especially because every major newspaper has blogs within it. Every major newspaper is featuring stories on their website. I liken it back to the days of when there used to be different editions of the newspaper. There'd be the morning edition, there'd be the afternoon edition, and, and stories would be updated to reflect changes throughout the day. And it seems that now, you know, we're on an online uh, blog structure in a lot of ways, Things are more like how they were back a hundred years ago when newspapers were updated several times in a day. Versus, I think when I was a kid, you had one newspaper showed up at, you know, in the morning, and that yeah. was it. And maybe there would be a late edition of the Milwaukee Journal sometimes, but normally there was just one edition of a newspaper every day. Or we had two two major papers in Milwaukee, and you know that idea that stories are constantly updating. The news is changing. And while the 24-hour news cycle, in a lot of ways, is 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 scary, and it's is sometimes it's horrible the way it can replay a tragedy for ratings over and over and over again, or it can focus on things if it bleeds, it leads, and then alter the conversation away from stuff that might be more important. At the same time, um, what blogs can do is they can offer also the commentary. People can talk. You could have a letter to the. You have your letter to the editor right five minutes after you release your story. Yeah, no, that's true. And that's a great way to kind of liken it in terms of the, you know, we, we live in a digital age and, you know, back in the day it was just editions. 
And uh, even when I when I worked uh, for the newspaper, I was in uh, worked in the sports section, Eastern Chronicle. We would have different editions, and you know, we sort like I would always explain it this way. You know, in sports, uh, think about it. So we we live in uh, uh, Central Time Zone, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, myself and, and you in Milwaukee. Think about it though. The, the LA Lakers are playing out west, different time zone. You still try to get those scores in, the, in those games in. So so if the Milwaukee Bucks are playing the uh, the Lakers in LA. That may not make your, your first edition, your first deadline. So it'll make the right. second edition. So, but nowadays, you know, like you said, with with, uh, with with everything going more digital, it's almost like having that edition updated in in live time. Yeah, and I think it's great. The only thing is, I wish more blogs had copy editors. That's the that's the yeah. one thing that we need to uh, to, to bring the that's digital true. age into maturity <laughs> is when they can start affording copy editors. But okay, so. As you decided to write a new book, uh, as you decided to bring it on your the call to arms, why people should be interested in this, um, what was your first, you know, what was your first move when you're thinking, okay, you just released a book, you, you get out there, you start making the now you start getting involved, like you said, you, the podcast, the radio circuit, you're, you're doing interviews, and you're interviewing and talking to more people who have had experiences. Did you start broadening out from cryptozoology and ufology? Did you start talking to people who have had maybe had haunting experiences, poltergeists, or Bigfoot sightings? Or, you know, was there something in particular as you were working on a new book, a new branches that you went out to investigate of weird stuff? Um, I think it all kind of goes together. The unexplained is the unexplained. And I, I, I in this book, I kind of try to uh, link them together somehow. You know, we obviously talk about UFOs first and cryptozoology second, but there's still... Um, there, there's still a, a link between those, the unex, the idea of the unexplained. And um, in terms of what I did differently this time, I just went in with a different um, – I wanted to – because the first book was basically just me. It was right. me, my experiences, my opinions. I wanted to get um, not just my thoughts and takes, but I wanted to get uh, other people's uh, experiences and their, and their interactions and what got them into this. And I wanted to get quotes because a good news story has quotes. So even though I'm writing a, a book that's persuasive in some senses, there also has to be some uh, some things to back it up, not just out of out of my mouth. Um, so that's why I want to talk to a lot of different people. Uh, one of the persons, the, the, the first big interview I did for punkrockufos.com, the website, was Erin uh, Ryder from uh, Destination Truth. Mm. And uh, she's quoted in the book, too. And to this day, that story still is my highest click story. Like Every month, people still read it, which is mind-blowing to me because it was so long ago. Um, we did that story and she had a really good point about cryptozoology. I was asking, you know, about going on these, you know, on these expeditions and, uh, how the tapings work and how people, you know, you watch these shows and they're entertaining, but they never really, you know, you get this little tease like, Oh, do we see something? Do we not? And the episodes are so similar. And, you know, she had a really good explanation for that. just because think about it. They're, they're there for usually two or three days, right? What is the chance at the time that they're there with a camera crew that they're going to be able to catch, you know, Bigfoot on camera. Or right, something. that'd be a miracle. It's, yeah, it's a miracle. It's very rare. It's not literally only that, a miracle. Yeah, not only that. I mean, there's things that people don't factor, like budget, right? The budget of the show, travel. A lot of times, um, they're in dangerous uh, conditions, not just geographically, but uh, politically. You know, they're in places that necessarily aren't um, friendly to uh, tourists. Sure. You know, so they're putting sure. they're putting themselves in dangerous situations for a very very small window. So you're not always going to get the X Y Z results. You know, you're not going to get these data driven results from these shows, but they're still out there trying to find it. So I thought that was really fascinating too to include that in there. That just because 
something unexplained isn't always uh, explained, it doesn't mean that it's not still out there. Sure. Now, as you said, you, as you talk to different people and as you're branching out into these different things and the different parts of the unexplained, I find with this show, talking to different people, that my mind is broadened with things that before I would have been like, no way, or you're crazy, or I, I find myself open to at least possibilities that I hadn't thought of before. Was there any particular case or or discussion or things like that? That, like For example, we just did an interview with Joshua Cutchen where he talks about um, paranormal child abduction, his new book, Thieves in the Night. And he's really into fairy lore. And to me, you know, the idea of fairies, I'm like, Give me a break. But <laughs> with the conversation and realizing that it's connected to uh, the way people talk about aliens today, connected to the way people talk about poltergeists and legends and all these kind of things, you're like, oh, there's something to it, or at least the history and something is much more interesting than what I thought of as, you know, Tinkerbell and fairy godmothers and stuff like that. And so my mind was open to something new. When you were working on it, what kind of new things was your mind op- were your mind open to? Um, I'm trying to think specifically. So I, I was doing a lot of reading too. I did a lot more research, um, reading a lot of different, just branching out more. Um, one of the things I was reading the other day, um, I'm reading it right now. This is really interesting to me. This isn't something that I necessarily dismissed, but it really kind of connected a lot of things for me. Um, basically, uh, I'm reading a book called Mutants and Mystics by a guy named, uh, Jeffrey Kripal. He's a professor of religious studies at Rice University in Houston. And I interviewed him uh, for the book, for my book as well. One of the things uh, I'm reading about in his book is he's talking about kind of mythology, science fiction, religion. And one of the uh, authors he's quoting basically says everything that's been reported, you know, all, all these all the, um, these unexplained creatures, mythology, folklore, it all ties together, but we're seeing it in different ways. So for example, um, the the idea of, of a child being abducted in the night by a fairy, right? And you could tie that into ufology, but the story, you know, what the story throughout time changes, right? For what folklore may say is a fairy could have been an angel in other people's eyes, or an alien abduction in someone else's eyes. So people are having these same experiences throughout time; they're just recorded differently. And I thought that was really fascinating. That's a good way to kind of tie everything together um, in terms of the unexplained. And I think that's that's a great way too. And I actually I read your your blog post in the interview with him, and it's I'll, we'll link to that in the show notes so you guys can check it out uh, at the punkrockandufos.com blog because it's a very worthwhile read. And you know I've been going down the same kind of path a little bit as I'm talking to more and more people, and they're, and they're talking about these these things they're experiencing, and then you find the like you said tying together the different parts of the experience are the same, and and you realize okay, well m- people are seeing something. And they're interpreting it in a way that they believe or they can understand. And some people might believe in Bigfoot or they, they can believe in a cryptid. They can believe in a, um, a giant ape. They can believe in, in seeing the missing link. To them, that seems real. That's reasonable. Yeah, of course there could be creatures that we don't know exist yet. Or other people who believe in ghosts. They see a ghost because that's something they believe in. Or like you said, aliens versus fairies. To me, it seems completely reasonable that beings from other planets are visiting us and abducting us like yeah yeah it seems reasonable where as a thousand years ago they'd be like what's another planet but i do yeah. think that these strange elementals are coming in the middle of the night and doing strange you know weird things from the forest so i, I thought that interview was really uh really great and, and the way that it connected I, I think more and more people in the field are looking away from 
uh, almost trying to categorize everything or physically explain everything and just realize that a lot of experience comes down to the experiencer and how they interpret it. Am I on the right track here or? Oh, yes, definitely. I mean, I agree, I agree with you 100%. And I think that um, a lot of people are starting to kind of look at other, like I said, other ways to kind of tie everything together because there's so many loose ends. Um, one of the things that uh, when I was interviewing him, uh, Professor Kripal said is that these, uh, these occurrences are more common than people think. Um, and it's true. You know, I'm, I was one of the, the books I'm reading right now is uh, David Hatcher Childress has a book coming out called Bigfoot Nation. And the book is basically just, uh, it comes out in September. I got an advance where I'm almost done with it. It's basically every, every documented sighting in North America for Bigfoot ever. And it's very comprehensive and it's thousands of reported sightings. So do you mean to tell me that thousands of people have been lying all these years? They're seeing something. They're having some similar experience. Okay. They're seeing something uh, that they believe is something they've never seen before. Um, so it's fascinating to me that th- there's thousands of recorded recorded sightings of this creature, but just because you don't have any physical evidence, does that mean, does it disqualify from being real? And I think we have to open up our eyes to say, kind of go against conventional science in, in that in that sense and be like, if so many people see and believe, you know, that, could, that makes it real. You know, re- uh, God is real to a lot of people. Now, do people have that physical proof of a God that they, they could, you know, hand it to you or show them in their hands? No, they can't. But to them, it's real. So why can't something like Bigfoot be real to somebody? Well, and, you know, that's exactly right, because when you, you talk to somebody about their religion, like you don't you wouldn't make fun of somebody's religion the way you make fun of somebody believing in Bigfoot. Exactly. That's a great point. You, you know, I, I no, I'm, I'm not a church going kind of guy or anything like that, but I do appreciate people's spiritual side. But I grew up Catholic. And it, like if I said to somebody, you know, if you talk about the Catholic Church, you talk about how, you know, that the idea of wine turning into blood physically, no, it really becomes Jesus's blood, yeah. not just a symbol. It actually is supposed to become Jesus's blood. OK, you say something like that and you're like, well, that's crazy. But then no one would ever call you crazy for going to church and doing that. Meanwhile, if we all sat in a circle, held hands, sang Kumbaya, come here, Bigfoot, come to us, people, <laughs> you know, people would be like, what, the, what are these guys doing? So I wonder if that's related to when you talk about the call to arms of punk rock and UFOs, true believers, you know, what is that? We, why should we be interested in this kind of stuff? First of all, I just want to say that's a really great point you made in terms of, you know, what, what people mock and what people choose not to mock, you know. Right, well, um, people, people make fun of Scientology all the time, but is Scientology yeah. any different than any of the stuff that I grew up with? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there's in every in every religious text, in every religion, there's crazy stories, things that aren't, po- think, things that we would think possible that, you know what, maybe they happen, you know, but right. we don't know, you know. But, you know, who's to say, like you said, who's to say a UFO in the sky, you know, you're going to get made fun of for it. Uh, but yeah, back to your question. The call to arms. When you talk about punk rock and UFOs, true believers, um, you know, why should we be interested in this thing? I mean, this is something that people ask me all the time, and I need a good answer for it, too. So why should we be interested in this? So th- we have a challenge right now. Uh, the challenge is we have so many things that keep us distracted from this stuff, right? Because it's basically, it's not a priority. The unexplained, the answers to the universe, they're not a priority to mainstream people. They're not. People, you know, are worried about, um, you know, their their health, their families, um, depending on where you live, you're worried about what's happening around you. Sure. I mean, sure. every day things are changing in the world and the universe. Uh, I know this is going to air uh, a couple of weeks, but today, you know, when we're taping it, you know, they have the, the big summit in Helsinki, Finland today, which has a lot of which has a lot, a lot of ramifications. Absolutely. You know? 
So people have things that they're legit worried about and concerned about. And at, at no point has UFOs or cryptozoology or the unexplained or the secrets of the universe are priority for the mainstream people. And the argument in punk rock and UFOs is these people need to care, you know, a little bit. Just to say, you know what, let me at least entertain this idea rather shutting it down. I'm not saying go to the, you know, drop, you know, what you're doing, drop all your interests. You know, don't worry about your family. Right. Leave the protest and, and let's go. Let's go on a ghost hunt. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm just saying, you know, these people need to open their mind and have that willingness to care or to at least question things or to at least want to know the answers to things. That's the whole thing. Want to know the answer. Don't just be kind of satisfied with the status quo of where basically everything that, you know, everything that you and I believe and read about is fringe. You know, it shouldn't shouldn't be fringe. It should be open, openly debated. Well, and I think that's a that's a great point too. The idea that you should want to know the answers to things because there's too much of a life that's easily accepted. You know, there's there's too much of like here's here's the way your life's going to be. You're going to get a job, and you're going to uh, then you're going to marry somebody who's they're probably going to have to have a job too, and then you're going to send your kids to school, and then go through the entire kind of circle this wheel that we've developed uh, as a society without questioning why. And I, I think a lot of this, when we're looking into deeper questions and weird things that happen and people have experiences that are so far outside the norm of life that they it changes their lives in a lot of ways. People see a UFO and their, their life changes. Um, you know, starting to learn, starting to question authority you know, it's starting to starting to question things out there. Um, I think that's a very powerful argument that this is this is just uh, a, a, a a microcosm of a larger ethos of questioning what you're told. Yeah, no, that's that's a great way to say it. I mean, just just imagine. Like I'm thinking right now, imagine having the secrets of the world and the universe kind of sprinkled throughout Earth and throughout you know through uh, history books, religion, mythology. Um, studies, just everything sprinkled out there and not wanting to at least try to be interested in it, you know, um, unless it was force fed to you, you know, like you go to school, you get your history books. It's what they, you know, what you read in your history books is what's chosen in there. And history is always written by the winner. <laughs> yeah. They might have an agenda. And history is always changing. It's always changing. It's always evolving, just like science. And that's kind of a point I make in the book as well. So, you know, you can't say, well, just because this happened doesn't mean that this didn't happen. Um, so I think it's re- it's really important that, you know, the, the world is vast. It's, it's a vast place and so is the universe. And we have all these answers out there, seemingly out there. And, you know, we just choose to kind of ignore it. And like I said, I know, you know, I know people are busy. Like I don't have to, I don't have all the time in the world to, I wish I did to read more about this. You know, I try to read as much about it as possible. And there's some researchers who dedicate so much time. And it's a point I make in the book. A lot of these people aren't doing this for money. They have jobs. They have families. You know, they're putting their own free time into into research or reading about this stuff. And what what makes them different from the average person, the mainstream person who doesn't really isn't really inclined to ask these questions or investigate these things? Well, and that and they can start off uh, by checking out your new book, Punk Rock and UFOs: <laughs> True Believers. It's what's well, a good way to start questioning things, and it's a good way to start looking into the mysteries of the universe um, from also a reasonable perspective and also treated like a journalistic perspective. So when we get into it, when you were interviewing people and working on the book, was there anything that what would what would you find was the most surprising or mind changing 
interview or chapter for you as you were working on it, uh, where as, as you were developing it, was there anything where uh, either you believed or you felt a certain way at the beginning of the writing process, and then you finished the writing process finding yourself thinking a whole new way about something? Um, I wouldn't say that something specifically changed the, 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 I guess, projection of the book or my way of thinking. Um, I just learned a lot more about people that I've, you know, kind of befriended, you know, in the community. I learned a lot more about their personal experiences. You know, you can read, you know, on someone's bio, but when you actually talk to them and you ask these, these questions that, you know, probe, no pun intended, um, for, uh, for kind of deeper responses, you know, when, when you kind of get that, uh, when you get those responses and those answers, you kind of see more of the commonality that you have you have in common with that person or that they per- that person may have with someone else who may not be an experiencer or may not believe in this stuff. Um, one of the, one of the the interesting stories I interviewed uh, Shannon Legros from uh, Into the Fray Radio. Oh and, sure. Uh, yeah, and she was saying her their experience um, that got her involved in this, and uh, it, it sounded horrifying. Um, she saw these black shadow beings as as a child. And it was freaky. Um, just just reading about it, and I was kind of taken aback. I'm like, wow, you know, it's not just that's not the stereotypical. I saw a UFO or I saw something in the bushes. You know, this was something that was it was very visceral. It was very close to her, uh, and had a very impactful um, moment uh, in her in her in her life. And so, yeah, that was really fascinating too. And then another thing, uh, it didn't it didn't make the book or the website. But I have friends of mine. They play in a, a local band, uh, a, a Texas hardcore band. And uh, what, I, I wait, what's the, the name of the Texas hardcore band? We'll put it in the show notes. There you go. Uh, the Lion of Wall Street. Okay, oh, <laughs> I like it already. Cool name. And uh, I've been friends with these guys for a while. Uh, we go watch wrestling together, and I had no idea that they were into. They had a paranormal experience, and they told it to me. And when I when I was transcribing it, I could not publish it. It was that scary. Um, it was something out of a horror movie. Um, it's basically just a tour story when they were on tour. Uh, they found this old house to go in, like they were just bored. And it was, it was just some, like the stuff they've seen in that house. I was like, you know what? I'm not, it was too scary for me to include in the book or on the website. Okay. And I, I understand, um, if it's, if it's too scary, but I'm going to, tri- I'm going to trigger you for a second here, Mike, cause we okay. got to talk about it because I'm, when people say something like that to me, like I feel a chill, like, oh Yeah. Like, I feel that sympathetic, like, too scary. They went into a... Was this in Texas when they were in tour? Were they in tour through the Southwest or... I forgot. I don't think they were in Texas. They were somewhere somewhere in the Southwest. And I just remember... The the one thing I remember vividly is they were in the house and they saw something go by one of the other rooms. And it was basically what they described it as was a person basically on all fours, bent over backwards, crawling. Oh, they saw like a Lovecraftian horror in... Yeah, exactly, exactly. (laughs) I mean, there was some other like cre- other creepy stuff in there too. But just like when I was trans, when I was typing it in, when I was typing the story, and like I could picture it in my head, and it was just really freaky. And I was like, yeah, you know what? This is this is this is creeping me out. And I grew up watching horror movies and you know all that stuff as well. But this is something that that they really witnessed. And uh, I mean, I believe them. They, they have no reason to lie. They're all straight edge, so they weren't. I'm sure, they weren't drinking or partying or anything like that. Yeah, yeah. There, there, there was nothing. Um, there was no uh, chemicals that were uh, altering their uh, their sights. So, yeah, so that was something, you know, in the process, you know, like I said, of writing the book that uh, really interests me. Well, it, what's cool about that, too, though, is that, and I find as other people 
discover that you're into this kind of thing and that you're willing to talk to them about it and, and at least entertain their story, you find that people you would not think who would have an experience or who seem very grounded can often come out of nowhere and be like, yeah, I lived in a, yeah, I lived in a haunted house. And, and it's just like, what? You know, people you don't expect. And so, you know, when you're asking around for stories like this and you find your friend, your straight edge friends <laughs> in a band are bored, they check out an abandoned house and see a creature, you know, a human-like creature bent over backwards on all fours, uh, crawling around in a, some kind of strange crab walk. That's gonna, you know, that's gonna freak you out. But that also uh, is exciting in a way because it's people you didn't expect having an experience, and that gives the whole thing up more cre- credibility. Yeah, for sure. Like, like some of the research I'm doing, some of the books I'm reading, and some of the people I've talked to, they're everyday people. You know, they're doctors. They're, um, they're people who are religious. Um, it's it's everybody. It's you know, it's not just you know, people like us, you know, the, the quote unquote weirdos, you know, it's not us. It's, it's everyone. Um, one, it's funny, like, uh, Donna Lee is somebody I wrote about too. Her, her abduction case was pretty popular. She was on, I think in the nineties, uh, her and her husband were on a lot of, uh, mainstream TV shows about it. And I had no idea that she lived down the street from me and she was, she was, she was friends with my mom. I had no idea. Awesome. Yeah. Until after I wrote the first book and I interviewed her, and um, it's gotten to the point, though, that I was going to do a follow-up interview, and her husband didn't want to do it because he just started a new job, and he was, a, he, you know, he's trying to keep a low profile because when people research him, all this, all these old interviews come up, and he he doesn't want people to judge him from his abduction experiences, which is kind of a shame, you know, at this point. You know, I I, I feel for him. You know, I don't care that he didn't want to talk to me. That's fine, but it's, it's just he shouldn't have to do that. He shouldn't have to hide his past, which is all out there on Google. You know, right. all his interviews, right. just just be ridiculed by a potential uh, employer. Well, you know, if you were mugged or something like that and they interviewed you on the news, yeah. um, you know, people would see that and they'd be like, oh, no, he got mugged. That's horrible. Like that would, cre- that would give you sympathy. But it seems like yeah. you undergo some kind of experience, which could be horrifying, like what happened to your friends or a lot of the abduction experiences are completely horrifying. And instead of being uh, in- instead of being a subject of sympathy, you end up being a subject of ridicule. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a great point. You're right. These people who you would think people would sympathize for, it's the exact opposite. Right, because you can't be telling the truth. It must be so you're just looking for attention or you're just looking to make a buck or all these kind of things. And you realize that a lot of people who experience these things, they have no interest in making a dollar from their story. They just want somebody to believe them. Exactly. And if you go back in time before the ages of the Internet, right, so these people were having these same experiences with no ways to share these experiences with each other. You know, somebody in India was having the same experience as somebody in Indiana. Right. But you, we didn't have the communication, the mass communication uh, technology then, you know, even even writing letters. What did you do? write a, a, a letter to some random person? Say, hey, this happened. Let's make up this chain story and see if it spreads. No, people have people have been having these similar experiences all around the world. Um, no, not being connected at all for for years. It's certainly an amazing thing. And I'm glad that people like you are coming in there and they're collecting it in a book so we can all share it. We can all understand a lot of these things better. So so you cover ufology, you cover some cryptozoology, um, you cover alien abduction. What's some of the other stuff that's covered in the book? Like who are, you know, who are some of the people, other people that you interview um, and some of the other stories you tell? So I kind of I, I kind of wanted to um, pull in people from not just ufology. I want to pull in people from pop culture as well. Um, and one of the things, uh, one of the chapters I'm talking about is mythology and religion. 
and uh, how kind of every all these stories kind of tie together. It's not just the ancient astronaut theory, but it's just kind of a little bit how everything sort of um, you could you kind of talk, talk about blurring the lines too with fiction, science fiction, mythology, and one of the things I, I played off of was this idea that we see in in comic books and pop culture about you know alternative universes and the idea of gods on Earth. You know, um, I'm a big comic book guy, and you know, in in Batman vs Superman. Um, Zack Snyder kind of explores this idea of what it would be like in a real world setting if an alien came down, how we would react to him. And we wouldn't react with open arms. We'd be a little bit weary, which Batman is. Right. I think a lot more people would be like Lex Luthor than, yeah. than they would be like, every you know, every, oh, Superman, what a great guy. Superman could like look at us and burn holes in our brain. Yeah, and I think that's the the genius that's lost on a lot of people. Like that movie got destroyed by the critics. But one of the lines in that movie, uh, Lex Luthor goes – uh, to talk about um, basically th- these myths, uh, God, g- gods amongst men, you know, the stories of our myths. And it's in that movie, it's real. And when you know, I talked to uh, David Marquez, who is part of the creative team at uh, Marvel Comics. He's an illustrator and he's part of the creative team there. And I asked him about, you know, he's somebody outside the box I talked to, you know, not, not directly involved in ufology sure. and this type of thing, about the idea of other universes and other Earths and dimensions and how that's explored in, in popular culture. So that's kind of um, something I pulled from as well. That wasn't just the traditional ufologist or, or, or researcher or someone involved in zoology. I try to pull from academia um, as well as well as pop culture and well, ufology. And, and when it comes to alternate universes and parallel universes, I feel like comic books have been exploring that for decades, even before it became really popular in you know, shows like Fringe gets into it, a Star Trek and the Mirror Universe and things like that. But I mean, comic books and Marvel itself, right? There's there's unlimited different parallel universes. Isn't isn't it the Prime One Six One Six or something? I don't know if I'm getting it right. But it's funny, like even the other day, like this idea of, of a multiverse or other universes and dimensions. It's actually a mathematical and physical like physical idea it's not just you know a science fiction thing like so the uh, just last week i was in i was in chicago i was in the midwest i was there with my girlfriend and her friends and her friend's brother was there and he's going to school to be he's going for his master's in physics he wants to be a physicist and people were asking me about this stuff because you know they know i write about it sure and he looks at me and he goes absolutely mathematically um when we're talking about in physics there's absolutely other universes and dimensions and other beings out there and i was kind of taken aback by it just because this is somebody who's in the in the uh, scientific field in the academic field who is just just sure based on the mathematical probability alone, and that was really fascinating because, like I said, you know you don't hear that a lot from uh, people who are involved in mainstream sciences. Well, and, and I think about the, the first time I ever really read about parallel universes outside of Star Trek or whatever, <laughs> uh, or you know movies, is a brief history of time. And Stephen Hawking goes into the whole, and I was like 12 years old. And I was like looking and reading it, trying to figure out like, oh, do I want to be a physicist? And I realized I don't have the brain to be a physicist. Uh, so I'll be in a band. But you know, you're reading it and they go into this idea of parallel universes and that every choice might lead to a different universe and every, you know, actions that happen that are so significant that they would they would split universes in two. And so there's other universes where you went right instead of left or where you broke up with that girl. You didn't break up with that girl. And I probably should be in the universe where I did break up with that girl. But um, <laughs> that being said, talking to a, a physicist about it and realizing that the possibility of that existing is very, you know, is very strong, um, leads to a 
a whole nother, a whole another, sorry, <laughs> a level of, of trying to figure out uh, what we're encountering when we encounter the unknown, because we try to put explanations on everything. And it often seems like, you know, our, our ability to explain, even in, uh, even in a way that's fantastical, even in an imagination way, it seems like we're limited by our human experience. And I wonder if in the book and your research, did you encounter more people who were trying to explain things rationally or people who were just like, you know what, there's just something out there that I don't get, but I know it's real to me. Um, I think the more the more people you talk to who's experienced this, they, they're kind of breaking away from, I wouldn't even say it's, it's irrational. It's not irrational. It's just against what we, we previously know, you know, these preconceived notions and ideas of what reality is, um, which has been kind of this, you know, we've been taught for so long, this is reality. You know, one plus one equals two. Right. Well, if you're going to argue that, well, then if a physicist or somebody studying to be a physicist says, you know what, mathematically, it makes sense that there's other universes and other dimensions out there. If they can mathematically map that and get that get to that, that answer. Right. Why can't you use that same equation with in terms of the unexplained? Right. Um, like most people that are involved in this stuff or interested in this stuff. We're open-minded already to these possibilities and ideas. So I really haven't spoken to anyone who's not open-minded to it. Now, there, there are certain researchers who are very scientific-based, you know, who kind of dismiss a lot of the theories that are out there, and that's fine. You know, I think you need to have as, as many voices in general. Um, but, yeah, that's just, just another argument that, that somebody has to make. And, and I'm not saying that those people are closed-minded because they're at least trying to find the answers. They just have a different uh, outlook and a different way of trying to get the answer to that equation. Now, when you were researching the book, did you talk to any, you know, professional skeptics, amazing Randy type guys or, or gals who, uh, you know, you come in there and be like, okay, well, here's the opposite end of the spectrum. Was it, did you encounter any of those or, or seek any out in the working on the book? Um, I didn't, I didn't because even though, you know, journalism, you should have balance when you're doing a news story, this book isn't really a news story. It's more just, you know, like I said, it's kind of a call to arms for people to be interested in this stuff. So I didn't try to actively reach any skeptics, but um, I did interview, uh, I have a quote uh, from Rich Doty, who is known from, if you've ever seen the film, uh, Magic Men. Uh, he's featured on there. He was basically a CIA operative who is uh, allegedly um, in charge of spreading a disinformation campaign. And he's my... Oh, yeah, yeah, he's he's a big name, and uh, he's somebody I interviewed for the website. And he's one of his quotes for the book, and one of the quotes I used from the book was him quoting a skeptic, and the quote he said was, um, "The U- I'm paraphrasing it right now, sure. I don't have it in front of me, but it was it's the the UFOs community, big, the UFO community's biggest enemy is itself, and that's so true because you have so much infighting in the, this community." You have almost like these little factions of what you know. You know this group believes in this. This group believes in this, and so forth. Or, oh, um, you read so and so, that person sucks. You know, you don't have you have no credibility. There's so much of that infighting, it, it which almost makes it kind of hard to want to be involved in that. Because you know, I can understand why some of these people who are researching these fears get jaded, because it's a very um, divisive community at times. Well, and it, it, it's funny you mentioned that too, because when you talk, when we were talking about religion before, that's the, you know, no one hated each other more than like the Protestants versus the Catholics versus, you know, the, the two groups that ostensibly believe the same thing will kill each other over it. 
And I haven't seen any UFO people kill each other over anything yet. <laughs> but I've certainly seen people get in very heated arguments about, you know, people, the, the nuts and bolts theory versus the interdimensional theory. You know, the, uh, the, the people saying that it's an extraterrestrial, extraterrestrials coming down to Earth, visiting us, you know, going on space vacations or whatever. They develop technology where they can travel the universe um, versus people saying, no, 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 it's got to be interdimensional beings who are slipping in and out because there's no physical way possible. I've seen people yell at each other about that. And at that point, we're just arguing about how many angels can dance at the head of a pin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah, no, it's, it's true. Like one of the, one of the things I talk about in the book is the UFO community in general, about how, you know, there needs to be kind of, uh, I mean, it's good to have different opinions and contrasting ideas. That's fine. But just in general, I think the reason why it's, it's so, I'm trying to think of the word, not discombobulated, but it's, it's not focused. Um, so I think it's okay to have different beliefs in there. That's fine, but uh, the end goal has to be the same. Not to necessarily run down what other people believe, but just try to find the answers. And it's, it's, it's okay to be skeptical and question everything. I get that. But I guess the point where you're questioning everything to the point where you don't believe in anything or you don't trust anything to begin with, that's when it gets kind of muddy where it's like, well, then what do you believe then? So what do you think is the, you know, what do you think the focus should be or, you know, where should we be? You know, as you've been researching and as you've been interviewing and, and blogging and, and now authoring a, a brand new book about true believers, where do you think we should be putting our focus? Or, you know, at least where do you think that obviously this is always evolving for everybody, but where would you like to see it go from here as how you feel today? I think in terms of ufology or in general? Start with ufology. Yeah, the ufology, I think people just need to be patient. Everybody wants, you know, the answers right then and now, and it's not going to happen. One of the things I, t I have a whole chapter in the book about disclosure and how the idea to me of disclosure is silly because dis disclosure, even if it happens, people need to care. And I don't think enough people care right now. If disclosure happened, that would make that much of an impact. People need to care for disclosure to be relevant. And that's kind of a big argument I make in one of the chapters. Um, in terms of in general, uh, I think, like I said, you know, it's, it's these people wanting to know these, these answers to these things. So where do we go? Um, I think we look at stuff that's previously there. We look at religion. We look at mythology. We look at these stories, and we tie them all together. There's commonalities between all of them. Um, there's some truth to some of these fictions. I'm saying I'm not saying everything that's been written is factually accurate, but there's some, there's some truth in there somewhere. Somewhere there's a truth, or somewhere there's an influence, or somewhere there's something that then that was built upon, and then we kind of look at it and go from there. So keep digging. Keep, yes, keep digging. That's exactly I love it. I love it. One final question for you. And I want to thank you again for, for taking your time to talk to us today because it's always fun. I always enjoy reading your blog posts and your updates. That's something I look forward to. Um, so it's a, a pleasure to get to speak to you uh, kind of in person. We're Skype, in Skype person again. But, you know, I, I think you coming from a professional journalism background – uh, have a lot to offer a lot of investigators and bloggers and people who are writing up their experiences because um, journalism has certain tenets that, when adhered to, at least seem to get us closer to some idea of the truth. And so, would you have any of your top three tips for people who are going out and doing investigations and are going to write it up later, coming from a professional journalist? All right. Uh, great question. First of all, every... Every case in this is different because if you see a UFO, it's going to be hard to be able to, you know, you want to talk to the witness, right? Well, then who else do you want to talk to? You want to maybe talk to uh, somebody um, in town who has a position of power, right? Or 
you want to try to get quotes from different sources. But say if you're just uh, a friendly blogger, you may not have the time or resources. So sometimes just eyewitness reports have to suffice. That being said, if you have more time or more resources, obviously, you know, try to talk to as many people as possible. Uh, tip one. Uh, tip two, I think for people to be taken credibly, uh, their stuff needs to be written well, uh, professionally, copy edited. Look, we, we all make mistakes. That happens. Even, even even the best people make mistakes. But I remember, you know, when I was in college, I was taking a copy editing class and my professor was like, if you spell this word, if you spell a word wrong, how am I going to trust that everything else in your story is factually accurate if you can't even spell this word right? And that always stuck with me. So, uh, too, like I said, be professional. Write it just like you would, you know, a professional paper. And then three, uh, I think the is just, like you said earlier, keep digging, uh, keep grinding, right? Who cares, you know, what people are going to think in terms of, you know, like say, say if you're working for, um, the website of the the newspaper in your town, and you're a web producer, and you have a story about UFOs. You want to pitch it um, for the website. You want to pitch it at a spot that's going to get a lot of a lot of clicks and a lot of people seeing it. Don't be afraid. Um, I remember when I was at the Eastern Chronicle, uh, I kind of talked about this in the first book too. We we did myself and one of the uh, the writers. We we did a, a, a video Bigfoot debate um, just because we thought it'd be kind of fun, but it, it was it was still kind of taken at kind of lighthearted and you know, in all reality it should have been, you know, it was, it was, we had a serious discussion, but the way it was packaged was kind of very kitschy and the stuff is real. It's real to a lot of people and it should be taken seriously. So fight for that fight for the authenticity of it. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, let's go out there and find some stuff guys. And before we do that, you can pick it up today and copy of the new book, Punk Rock and UFOs, True Believers. Mike, where can they find the book if they want to pick it up right now? Thank you. Um, first of all, you go to punkrockandufos.com. There'll be links to buy the book, and it should be on uh, Amazon and barnesandnoble.com as well, and, and, in, in print format and digitally as well, if you want to get it on your Kindle. Oh, fantastic. So you can you can start reading it within 30 seconds of finishing it. Well, actually, within five minutes, because listen to the song coming up uh, based on our conversation today, and then go pick up a new copy of Punk Rock and UFOs. Thank you very much, Mike. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Um, I'm a big fan of uh, the show, so thank you. Awesome. So what's exciting is today is the first day you can pick up Mike DeMonte's new book. Very exciting. Yeah, Punk Rock and UFOs, True Believers. We're not the first Sweet. podcast to have them. We were the first to do the interview, but uh, <laughs> um, but Ryan Sprague, who also has been on uh, the See You on the Side podcast, he interviewed him this weekend, so he beat us to the punch oh, cool. and already launched it. Oh, um, we'll get you next time, Ryan. Yes, we will. We will get the <laughs> scoop. But we're just happy. So make sure you, you go to othersidepodcast.com slash 207, and you can find a link and pick up Mike's new book, Punk Rock UFOs, True Believers Today. Um, Wendy, when we talk about punk rock, what springs to mind for you? Punk rock? Oh, my gosh. What springs to mind to me is um, all kinds of concerts that we played in the early 2000s <laughs> Yes, <it laughs> with is. punk bands. Uh, and loud and high energy and people, you know, getting excited and getting, getting their, not rage, but, you know, letting, letting things all out. Their emotions, a lot of catharsis yeah. at those punk Catharsis, shows. good word for it. Yes. People, you know, moshing and stage diving and just running around going crazy. Yeah. You know, what I think of is I think of like, do it yourself. I think okay, of, sure. I think uh, of, you're thinking more of like a, like the attitude, the punk rock, yeah, the punk rock, rock attitude. attitude. 
and I also think about the kinship to the culture. Mm. In, in that, you know, punk seems to be embraced, but embraces the outcasts. Very much so, yes. And also there's kind of a, a cycle of creative destruction in it too. And, and you can see that when you talk to somebody who liked punk in the 90s and then like punk in the zero. I remember it just happened at the gym the other day. Like punk, <laughs> like this this girl who's a like really into hardcore and punk. So some like 2000s punk rock comes on like the Spotify station we were listening to. And she's like, is this the emo station? What is this? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it was funny. And, and that's the thing is, and, you know, I think that it, it, this has been happening at least since 1978 when people, you know, their mohawks graying, the blue slightly fading, and they're just like, that's not punk rock. Punk's dead. You know, it, it just seems to be that cycle of creative destruction of throwing off the generation beforehand. Uh, that's built in to the ethos of punk rock. That's a feature, not a bug. And there's a quote by Henry Rollins where he says, questioning anything and everything to me is punk rock. And that means whatever happened, like the, the dogma of what happened before is what you question. Hmm. And so for this week's song, um, I was listening to the Bouncing Soul songs that inspired uh, Mike DeMonte's title. And cool. then think, thinking about Henry Rollins' quote about questioning everything. So with this track this week, we went for a late 90s style punk song. And here's our anthem for not just regurgitating accepted dogma. Make sure to think for yourself. Here's Sunspot with God Bless the Heretics. For listening to today's episode, you can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. It's not over yet, Mike. <laughs> the fat lady is not yet sung? <laughs> that is correct. The episode is not over yet because we need 
very much to talk about something exciting and okay. new. But you have me on the edge of my toes. <laughs> what is that? We have a brand new Patreon Facebook group. Hey, that sounds yes. like fun. That means I can talk to people over Facebook that I actually like instead of just my racist <laughs> uncle. Oh, yeah. So if you're in Facebook and you're one of our Patreon community members, you would should have already received an invite. But if not, let us know and we'll get you in there. And if you're not one of our Patreon community members... We still do have a Facebook page that we post a lot of interesting articles. Uh, we always put the newest podcast episode up there and link to the show notes there. And that is at facebook.com slash other side podcast. We also put our paranormal newsletter up there. We have the five most interesting articles we find uh, every single week. But you can also get that if you sign up for our email list. But make sure you like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash other side podcast. And then engage with us in some paranormal discussion. We have cool links and articles to all over the internet and all the fun stuff we find is on our Facebook page. And so it's only growing. We're just, you know, we're kind of just getting it rolling now. And so we want you guys to come and hang out with us on Facebook. And especially for our Patreon community members, we're looking forward to engaging with you in conversations and stuff like that in more than just the hangouts every month. Yes. And thank you, Patreon members, for going that extra mile. If you would like to become one of our Patreon community members, how can they do that, Mike? Well, you can go to othersidepodcast.com slash donate, and you can see all of the cool levels, like Dr. Ned, who's at the level where we give him a shout out in every single episode. Thanks, Dr. Ned. Cheers to you, Dr. Ned, and we'll see you at a show soon. And everybody else, have an awesome week, and we'll see you on our Facebook page. Thanks for listening. I don't have the brain to be a physicist, uh, so I'll be in a band.